Well, it looks like you all hated me so much that you've given me this award for it. That it can be about the performance and not the politics. This moment is so much bigger than me. And I can't deny the fact that you like me right now. You like me. And thank all of you who voted for me and all of you who didn't, please excuse me. I deserve this, thank you. And welcome back to this week's episode of Academy Queens. I am a homeschooler that has many prego egos that I've totally undid those doodles, Joey Gentile. And I'm acting out with my own shit, Brandon Stanwyck. And this is this week's episode of Academy Queens, your LGBT guide through the Academy Awards per decade per category. And this is the class of 2007. Oh my God, we have made it halfway over. We are almost done. Crazy, crazy thing. We're almost to the current decade. I am so excited because we are literally this weekend is the Academy Awards. And um, I just, you know, we can't really talk about our picks yet because we're going right into season five. And I just like, I want to so bad. I have so many thoughts. It's so funny because when this actually goes up, the Oscars will have happened like two months ago. So... (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of a funny way the how we record things. For sure, for sure. Um, but what's new with you? How's your week been? Uh, it's been okay. Um, I don't know. I forget when I said it on which episode because we record these out of order, as our listeners know. So I am currently at another store getting them up and running. Uh, corporate sent me to a, a new store to get them, you know, on their feet. I feel like that guy in Whale Rider uh, leading the children through all the rituals to determine who's going to be the uh, the new leader. Ah, yes, yes. That's how I feel right now. I'm, I'm teaching uh, all the new employees my ways. Is it going good, though? It's going okay. It's uh, There's some stubborn employees who don't like it. So basically what happened, it's a conversion. So all the employees from the previous store that my company took over stayed on um they weren't let go or anything and now they just need to learn a new way of doing things which is similar to how they were doing it but also completely different at the same time and uh some of them are catching on better than others and some not so much and uh it's been a challenge but it's it's been okay i mean that's good though that's good it's you know we all we all need a good challenge in life right yeah I saw your tweet earlier. What the fuck was that about with the uh, your side being lowered to the ground or something? Oh, yeah. Some guy, I think, was making a comment about my height, and he asked if the floor was lower on my side of the register. And I think he was serious. And it took me a minute to realize what he was asking because I legitimately looked down, and I was like, no, I don't think so. And then I realized what he was saying. I was like, oh, you need to leave. Here's your receipt. <laughs> um, sorry about that, bud. No bueno. But um, today we have a guest. Yes, we do. Um, Tell us who we got. Tell us who's here today. We have a very special guest. He is a member of the Online Film Critics Society and the Critics' Choice Association. He is the founder and co-host of the In Session Film website and podcast, and he is a spirit family member of mine. That is (laughs) J.D. Duran. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Big fan of your guys' work. Um, And man, this is this is surreal in some ways. It's nice to hear your voices and being able to talk to you guys, not just hear them. Um, And yeah, Brandon, we we've talked before about our connections (laughs) with each other. You've been on my show. Glad to be here returning the favor. So 
yeah, this is, I, I'm, I'm pumped for this, guys. Right. So people who have not listened to the episode that I guested on, um, on the In Session Film podcast, uh, JD and I went over our little connection here, but mm-hmm. I'll quickly go through it for the our listeners who haven't heard that. So um, the, one of the co-founders of In Session, along with, uh, along with JD, is a guy named Nate, and mm-hmm. Nate has a brother named mm-hmm. Seth, mm-hmm. and that Seth is my Seth, my boyfriend. <laughs> so JD yeah. and I were mutuals on Twitter and interacting yeah. with each other for like a couple of years yeah, before we even least. realized yeah. that we had this connection. <laughs> yeah, pretty wild. Yeah, I had, I had known of you for some time. Like you said, mutuals on Twitter, been following your work. And Nate had reached out to me to say that, hey, you need to get my brother's boyfriend on your show. He's also a big cinephile. I think you would love having him on. Didn't think anything of it. And in hindsight, I felt terrible because I didn't even really do the research. I probably should have reached out to Seth to even ask, but I didn't. And I'm still I'm not exactly sure how it came to be, how I found out that is a little murky in my memory for some reason. But either way, I found out I immediately reached out to you and was like, oh, my gosh, my mind is blown. (laughs) This is crazy. And so, yeah, it was it was very exciting. And so, yeah, we've been talking about that and. Uh, and here we are now. And I think you guys back... have your own six degrees of Kevin Bacon. <laughs> yeah. yeah, a little bit. Yeah, That's like, crazy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> pretty wild. Well, I think back when we first started talking, when we realized our connection is when um, I sort of casually threw out the idea of you coming on to Academy Queens. Mm-hmm. And I think you immediately latched on to the year 2007. Yeah. And so I'm wondering, why is that? Well, I, I want to say at the time when we first started talking about it, we had just done a 2000 and retrospective on our show. And so um, I, I was pretty fresh with that year and a bunch of the, the films and performances from that year. I mean, I feel like in general, it's highly regarded as one of the best years for film uh, this century. Um, at least I certainly feel that way. I mean, I could go down the list and there's 30, 40 deep that I, I just in- incredible that, that top 10 or 15 for me is it's certainly among the best of all time. You could make the argument that it is the best year for a film. So, um, a lot, I think to mine out of the year 2007 with film, a lot to dissect and discuss. So, um, yeah, it's certainly a year that as I would imagine is the case for many cinephiles and femfems out there. It's, it's, it's a pretty significant year. (laughs) I'm okay. I, I, I totally agree with you on that for many, but you know what? I have to keep my Joeyisms and say, this (laughs) is one of the weakest best picture lineups of that decade. That okay, also, yeah, that that could be a good point. Let me make the distinction that I'm talking uh, about film in general and not so much okay. the awards season oh, for that okay, year because okay. that could be two very different conversations. I, I do agree. I'm, I'm just speaking vaguely to the year overall. No, for sure, for sure. You know, I, it was funny because I was prepared already when you said that. I was like, God damn it, Joey, can I never just once agree with anybody? <laughs> like, <laughs> I wanted to so bad, and then I was like, uh, okay. <laughs> Yeah, I, swear I mean, I don't do this on purpose. I swear. <laughs> I mean, because and I, 
maybe you guys feel differently. I generally feel every year that the Academy lineup is quite off from what I consider the, the best of a given year. So I sometimes I think I fail to make that distinction, especially when we're talking about things like the Oscars, which is what we're doing on your guys' show, uh, to, you know, clear or, you know, articulate that, you know, what I think is the best of a given year certainly might not line up with, you know, what the Academy thinks. I mean, last year, 2018 is, or two years ago now, I mean, that's quintessential. I mean, I thought 2018 was a great year and then, you know, there's another film that shall not be named that goes on to win Best Picture that is not indicative of how good that year is. So, um, but some of these performances we're going to talk about tonight, yeah, not bad, not bad. Could been could have been worse. Yeah, for sure. And it, and then this is, I mean, we're we're going to jump into this here shortly. But like, for an example, the supporting lineup is one of the years that kind of remind me of the supporting lineup of 2000, where. <laughs> Pretty much it was anyone's game. Like everyone won some type of precursor. Well, in this case, except for Saoirse Ronan. But um, this could have been, I mean, I love when it's a wide open category. I think that's what makes it more the most fun. Like going into this yeah, year, we sure. pretty much have a lock on everybody except for best picture and maybe best director. But it's like, you know, it, I will agree with that fact is that like the lineup here that we're going to talk about is pretty well done. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this lead lineup that we're going to talk about, I think, is actually pretty great because at any point between 2007 and now, four of them have been my personal winner at some point. Mm. So um, I think it's a that's a pretty good sign of a lineup if my opinion changes over the years and somehow four of them have been, you know, my number one at some point. Yeah, I will say I also have had at least three people in, in my lead lineup be uh, different over the years since this uh, award ceremony. Mm-hmm. So, um, well, really quick fun fact about this year's uh, ceremony, too. Um, this was the first time since 1964 that all of the acting awards went to non-Americans. Um, in 64, it was the year Rex Harrison, Julie Andrews, Peter Ustinov, and Lila Cordova. So... With the actual winners this year being Daniel Day-Lewis, Marion Cotillard, Tilda Swinton, and Javier Bardem. Yeah. All non-Americans. And that was the first time since 64. How interesting. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I am curious, though, just because I brought it up. Uh, best picture this year. Atonement, Juno, Michael Clayton, No Country, or There Will Be Blood. J.D., who would you give that to? Um, This is maybe a little bit of a of a polarizing conversation um as i mean i know many people consider there will be but there will be blood to be uh among the best of all time and i know that's the case for my co-host it's one of his favorite films of all time but i'm i'm actually in the no country camp i that to me was my i think i have that at number two for that year which is the highest of these nominees for me um but i'm a i'm a big fan of atonement and there will be blood as well really i i i quite enjoy all these films uh so this is a pretty decent lineup for me but yeah push come to shove i'm team no country here brandon what about you so sort of like the actress lineup my opinion on best picture in this year has changed over the years I believe on the night way back when I was polling for No Country for Old Men, and then there have been times where I've veered into There Will Be Blood, and I do like Atonement quite a bit. And mm. some, and um, 
you know, sometimes I kind of wish it would have gone to a movie like Juno, a little scrappy film that yeah. could sort of the, thing. That that would have been really cool. Yeah, I have No Country, There Will Be Blood, and Juno. Are, all three of those are in my top five for 2007, in my personal ranking. And Atonement is in my top ten. So, uh, yeah, so, pretty good job there. For, at yeah. least I would argue. <laughs> I will say, going off of my comment from earlier for this one, if I were an Academy voter voting for this, even today, I think I would go for Juno, mainly mm. because I find Atonement really boring. I don't like mm. No Country or There Will Be Blood, and Michael Clayton is just okay. So, fair. Uh, Juno's really the only one I like in this lineup, so I, I would just, I guess, have to go for that one, but that's just me. <laughs> hey, I love Juno as well. Yeah. I, I remember actually seeing Juno in the theater, and I probably, I was a freshman in high school when it came out, and I was just in love with that soundtrack. Yeah. Yeah, same. Yeah, I still listen to a few of those tracks often, actually. Uh, yeah. Well, gentlemen, shall we? All right. All right. Let's do it. Your 2007 Best Supporting Actress lineup were Tilda Swinton in Michael Clayton, Ruby D in American Gangster, Sarah Sharonin in Atonement, Kate Blanchett in I'm Not There, and Amy Ryan in Gone Baby Gone. All right. Uh, starting off with Sarah Ronan as Brianna Tallis. This is her first of four nominations. And in a tone, oh, oh, and going into Oscar night, she had a Golden Globe and a BAFTA nomination for Best Supporting. In Atonement, again, Saoirse plays Brioni, um, who, well, she plays the younger version of the Vanessa Redgrave character. And pretty much she's a troublemaker who, uh, I want to say, almost does like a reverse cry wolf. Uh, she gets someone in trouble when they don't out of jealousy and is kind of the center of this drama that goes down in this film. Um, so JD being our guest, start us off. What do you think of Saoirse Ronan as Briani Talis in Atonement? Love this performance. Uh, I think she's so great. I, I love Atonement. I am one of those big Atonement fans. Like I said, it's in my top 10 for that year. And I think a big part of that, it's it's not just the writing and directing, which I do think is great, but the performances of the film all around, including Saoirse Ronan, are phenomenal. And, you know, given how young she was at the time and in 2007, I don't not sure if I was really familiar with her going into that film. I can't say that I was. So this might've been my first exposure and man blew me away. Absolutely. Uh, gives a stunning performance here. And if I had a vote, man, it's she, you know, I don't know. It, it's hard to say cause there's some other great performances here, but she might get the vote for me. I, I think she's that good. And, in this film. I mean, she's now become one of my favorite working actresses right now. And, um, man, she hit a banger with what she does in atonement. Saoirse Ronan is so freaking good in atonement. Um, mm. I love a devious child and Saoirse Ronan pulls it off so well. So much of this movie rests on Saoirse Ronan. If mm. she would not have been able to handle the narrative, the weight of this story, the whole thing would have crumbled. Um, the casting of Bryony is was absolutely essential to this film being successful. And I think Saoirse Ronan nails it. Um, she does a wonderful job of weaving this whole story together and showing you the different perspectives, the way she sees them. Because, you know, for those of you who haven't seen Atonement, I mean, you've had like 13 years, so... 
you learn mm-hmm. at some point that a lot of what you see through Bryony's eyes is not really what happened. And in fact, a lot of what you see is in her head and she made it up as a form of atonement for herself. And Saoirse Ronan is the performer who holds that all together. And without her, the movie just simply would not work. So um, that alone, I think she deserves a lot of credit for. Hi guys. Um, okay. <laughs> oh, here it comes. Here it comes. Here we go. I really hate this movie. I think it's so boring, and I think Saoirse Ronan's introduction into the Academy is one of the most uninspiring nominations for a first timer. I don't find anything about this girl believable. She's so wooden. These line deliveries were. Yes, I'm sure. I'm sure I saw her. Like, it's like she's reading off of cue cards. It's it's so mind-blowing that... Uh, I know they wouldn't have been in the same category, that, but that Saoirse could get in, but Kira Knightley couldn't. I mean, it is just, like, beyond comprehension how this happened for me. Um, <laughs> I, don't, I don't get it. I, I, I think, if anything... I know this is weird because I don't really, tr- I've said it before, like I truly don't believe in coattail nominations. And usually like a coattail nomination is a nomination from someone who doesn't get any precursors. Like for an example, Penelope Milford in Coming Home always gets uh, gets uh, ragged on for being a coattail. But I feel like in a way this was a coattail nomination and the, I, I don't get it. I, I don't get it. I don't like it. And I think this is a really bad introduction to the Academy for us. Wow. Put that to me. <laughs> Crazy how on polar opposite extremes we are here. Welcome That's interesting. to Academy Queen. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Indeed. I wouldn't expect anything less, but that I that is that sparks an interesting conversation though. I mean, I know that we don't have time to deep dive into that film. Maybe maybe sometime off mic we can, I would love to hear more about your thoughts on that film and that performance, like specifically that's, that's fascinating because I haven't really heard that a ton about this film and that performance. So it's always fun to hear different perspectives like that. I I respect it. In reference to like how you, how her um, performance style um, doesn't work for you. It totally works for me because Bryony is trying to be something that she's not. She's someone who is a little bit too who thinks she's too big for her britches. She's trying to put on these airs as if she's an adult and she belongs at the grown-ups table. And so she has this sort of faux poise about her where she wants people to take her seriously. And I think that's why it comes off as perhaps wooden because she is trying to look and act like a grown-up yeah. when she's not. Yeah, yeah exactly. She's pretend- pretending to be something she's really not. She wants the credibility of an adult. Mm-hmm. And so much of what she does relies on her credibility. So when she's making these accusations about her sister and um, Robbie, I think is his name, she doesn't want people to think she's just some kid who doesn't know what she's talking about. She wants people to believe her because she, in her mind, something very terrible has happened and she's the only one that can stop it. So the way she presents herself um, is a bit of a device, I guess you could say. 
Mm-hmm. See, I I hear that, and I and definitely respect it as well. And I know these are different movies, different performances, different films, but I hear a child actor in a, playing a character who's supposed to pretend to try and be an adult, and I can't help but instantly think of Haley Steinfeld in True Grit and how much mm-hmm. better she did that, if that's the case, because unlike Ronan, and this is not like a hint towards 2010, we love to you know to get through this season, but. Like Ronan Steinfeld held her own to where I feel like Ronan relied on everyone else around her. And I think that's why it doesn't work for me because without everybody else, Ronan, I mean, Ronan doesn't work for me in general, but I don't think Ronan, Ronan works here. Does that make sense? Sort of. <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I hear what you're saying. I, it's hard for me to compare it to something like Haley Steinfeld. I, I think she's doing something very different than what Saoirse is asked to do in this film. But, um, but I, I mean, I, I don't disagree that Saoirse Ronan is relying on other actors around her to create a, a certain dynamic. But I think that argument goes the other way around as well. And for a lot of the reasons that Brandon is talking about, I, I think that's why it works for me and why there's, there's nuance to, to what she's doing. And a lot of that, you know, that, uh, the, this pretension that she is trying to evoke and what that means for the character that I think comes off quite vividly. At, at least it worked for me. Yeah, and it seems like she might not be as independent because she is dependent on everyone else around her. She basic she's in a situation where she needs other people to validate her. So she's not in a position where she is like this independent out on her own kind of figure. Mm-hmm. She she wants to be a part of the grown-ups table. So so yeah, she is reliant on other people because the other people are who validate her. Understandable. We do, though, have a question. We actually have two questions regarding atonement, but one I'm going to bring up because it, it later on because it involves Laura Linney. So the first one we have, though, is from Catherine Short. Did the backlash against Cure Knightley and costume dramas in general in the mid-2000s hurt her chances of getting nominated for atonement? And if the film had been released during the golden age of Hollywood, where movie stars were always leads, would she have been a lock? I'm only bringing this up now because we're talking about atonement, atonement in general. So, Brandon, what do you think of that? Um, well, uh, when it comes to Keira Knightley's snub, I mean, I would go back to what we said earlier. This lead lineup is pretty strong. Um, there is someone who I would bump for Keira Knightley. We'll get to that later. But um, I could see a performance like this being nominated um, back in the golden days. Perhaps Kira Knightley's uh, reputation for being the queen of the costumes in this era maybe worked against her. But um, I think there's a strong likelihood that she would have been nominated in a different year. Um, not necessarily in the olden days, but just in a year with a, a weaker lead actress uh, category. Yeah, I'm going to leave a lot of that to the experts here. <laughs> I don't know if I have uh, as much cachet with that kind of conversation as you guys do, but um, I I mean, she could have been, if she was nominated, I would have been very happy with it as well. Um, I'm, I'm with Brandon that I think there is one here that we'll get to that I, I would certainly replace her with, but um, if if I had to pick one from Atonement and that's all I was given, it would have been Saoirse Ronan for me. 
Yeah, probably yeah. me too, actually. Um, I, I don't know how to answer that, really. Um, I don't know. I can't think offhand right now if the mid-2000s really were, like, a backlash of these type of films. I mean, to be honest with you, I can't offhand think of any from that era. But that's just because I don't think there were many being made in general. I mean, after this, I can't think of another one until uh, Cure Knightley again with The Duchess. And if we're talking about Cure Knightley again, Pride and Prejudice. But, I mean, like, that had happened two years before this. So I don't really know. Sorry, Catherine. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. Next up, we have this year's winner, Tilda Swinton, as Karen Crowder and Michael Clayton. This is her sole nomination so far, which is mind-boggling. Mm -hmm. um, going into Oscar night, she has a Golden Globe, a Critics' Choice, a SAG, and a National Society Film Critics nomination for supporting, but a BAFTA win. And in Michael Clayton, again, Tilda plays Karen Crowder, who is the lawyer of this corporate company, whose sole job is to defend any possibility that this company is killing people through their products. And like Sarah Sharonin ends up being the center of this huge dramatic uh, uh, place of events happening. So Brandon, what do you think about Tilda Swinton as Karen Crowder and Michael Clayton? It's kind of funny how when people bring up Michael Clayton around me, um, even though George Clooney is the titular role, usually my response is, oh, Tilda Swinton is so fucking good and Michael Clayton, because I love her so much in this movie. Um, Karen Crowder is a character who I 100% believe is a real person. I, I am positive every five or Fortune 500 company has at least one Karen Crowder, someone who is devious and will do whatever it takes to win her company all the freaking money that they want and bury all the leads and pay off all the people and have anyone killed that needs to be killed. Spoiler for the movie. But I 100% believe this performance. Um, Tilda Swinton, we of course usually associate with the weirder stuff. She's kind of like a Helena Bonham Carter in that way. And I wish we would get a lot more of this Tilda Swinton because I think she is sublime here. Um, it's not often that we get the more, I don't know, quote-unquote realistic or uh, grounded performances. Um, mm -hmm. Not to say that her other performances aren't, but, you know, it has that impression of being a little bit more out there, usually, with her. But um, I think she's fabulous as Karen Crowder. Um, even though she's a character we're not supposed to like, I can't help but be fascinated by her. Um, she's a truly horrible human being, and... There's something that I really dig about that. I don't know what. Uh, JD, how do you feel? Yeah, I love her in this film, and you pretty much echoed a lot of what I was going to say as well, because when we think about Tilda Swinton, especially because a lot of what she did in the 2010s, it's easy to think about her chameleon-like roles and performances such as what she did in Suspiria or Snowpiercer and things like that. And I love her when she's playing up those kind of hammy characters, but I think she's equally as great when she's doing these grounded dramatic roles as well. We recently did our best of the decade show at the time of this recording. So I recently revisited we need to talk about Kevin and I feel the same way about her in that film and how she's giving this uh, intensely dramatic performance. And, and she's obviously doing something much different in that film to Michael Clayton, but I, it's comparable to me and how she's doing something that is 
much more attainable than, you know, something like she's doing in, uh, you know, when she's uh, embracing her eccentricity and a lot of her other performances. So, um, and I think she is really great. I think her performance is so good that, you know, it's necessary for what we see in the end, in that final scene without her performance in the way that it is. I mean, it's not going to be quite as satisfying, um, as, as, as it is. So, um, so yeah, this is a, a deserved nomination, I think, I mean, it, without doing, I guess, a ton of research and rewatching a bunch of films, but, um, but looking through my list of the films that I love from that year and, and the performances, I, I have no problem with, with this, with this nomination. I, I mean, I don't know if I would vote for it to win, but I certainly don't mind the nomination. She is genuinely great here. I really like her here. I, um, think Tilda Swinton brings such a breath of fresh to this super dark film. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that this role could almost have blended into the background. If you didn't get one, get someone strong enough to, really deliver how menacing this character is mm -hmm. um and i think swinton did a fantastic fucking job um she still it, it actually has one of my favorite um uh, oscar speeches where she compares the oscar to her agent's ass and i think that's hilarious and that's pure tilda swintonisms and side note did you know she actually gave this Oscar to her agent to keep in la she doesn't even have it at her mm. house so interesting <laughs> yeah yeah um, but yeah, I think Swinton does really, really good work here. Um, just when you think she's going to get away with it, she gets in a way, the living shit beat out of her, um, figuratively, not literally. Um, and I think it's good. I, I really hats off to Tilda here because like, like I said, I think if this had gone to anybody else, um, this could easily been almost a throwaway character. That last scene between her and George Clooney is just gold. It's the look, great. The yeah. look on her face when she sees him alive, when she thinks yeah. he's been knocked off, is priceless. And yeah. her falling to the ground, taking that knee and bending over when she realizes how fucked she is, mm -hmm. is just perfect. It's great. Yeah. I almost think she is as devious of a character in this as Michael Douglas in Wall Street. I will say that. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. They're yeah. very similar. Yeah. Yeah. She, yeah. They're very similar, sure. but she seems way more um, true to life. Like, I'm sure there's people who exist like Gordon Gecko, but there's something. So Tilda Swinton as Karen Crowder is so much scarier to me than Gordon Gecko because I believe there are tons of her in the world. You know, yeah. Gordon Gecko is like this almost one in a million force of nature. Whereas I'm sure every single fortune 500 company has someone just like Karen Crowder and they're all completely evil in their own specific ways. And yeah. Tilda Swinton yeah. nails it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, I don't want to get too much into my personal life, but uh, I work at a place that has these people <laughs> for sure. Uh, but I, I've seen it and it's hard to bite your tongue often <laughs> when you do, but Name yeah, I mean, they're, they're, yeah. <laughs> spell it. Oh uh, yeah, I'm trying to maintain my current position, but yeah, I mean, you do see things like this often, and you just want to punch someone in the face. So, you know, it's nice to have 
workout sessions where you can work all that off. But uh, and but that is to say, I, I agree with you. She taps into something that I do think is absolutely uh, relatable in terms of what we see every single day. I mean, even if you're don't have the same experience as me, I mean, this kind of crap is in the news all the time, I feel like, or at least these people. So, yeah, and yeah, she's great. So, so good. Well, we actually have a question that is directly dealing with her from Jackson uh, Stefano. This mm. is Tilda Swinton's only Oscar nom. Any other nominations you wish she got? I'm going to yeah. start this off by literally just this decade alone. I personally would have given her um, nominations for Suspiria, uh, Doctor Strange, uh, Trainwreck, and Snowpiercer. And yes, you heard that right. I would not give it to her for We Need to Talk About Kevin. Mm. Okay, well, she would have won Best Actress for me for We Need to Talk About Kevin. So that's that's the big one for me. To say uh, one that just wasn't already said, um, I would give her a nomination for Only Lovers Left Alive. Yeah, that's a great one, too. Yep. Yeah. She's amazing in that film. Also, I Am Love. She's really mm-hmm. good in that one awesome. as well. Great. Yeah. Yeah. So just to name a couple that we didn't already say. You know what? I know that everyone's trying to get a... a, a and I think it needs to happen a best casting Oscar, but can we just give a Tilda Swinton's best performance of the year Oscar? Like <laughs> she just gets one every year <laughs> or something because honestly, yeah. who are we kidding? Yeah. Uh, all right. All right. We have Ruby D as mama Lucas in American gangster. Again, this is her sole nomination. Another fact that just blows my mind. Going to Oscar night, Ruby had not a singular precursor except for a SAG win in supporting, which really b- took everyone by surprise and really put her in the race to possibly win this uh, uh, award. In American Gangster, again, Ruby D plays Mama Lucas, who is the mother to Denzel Washington's character, who sees right through his bullshit and will not stand for any of it. So, um, JD, what do you think about Ruby D as Mama Lucas in American Gangster? Well, in the spirit of transparency, this is the performance of these nominees that I feel like I would need to revisit to get a good handle on as far as how I feel about it. Is it a deserved nomination? All those questions that can be tossed toward any of these nominees here. But from memory, I I really do love her in this film and because of the reasons you just stated there and the synopsis of her character, what she brings to this film is important because she balances out a lot of the ego driven bravado that we see in American gangster. She has this feminine prowess that she uh, expresses throughout the film that I think is really exciting and fascinating to watch as we see, uh, you know, Frank delve into all the things that he does. And like you said, she doesn't, I mean, she sees right through all that nonsense and calls him out on it. And her, the dynamic she brings in all of that is fantastic. It's, it's really great. I, I do wish I would have had more time to, uh, to see some of these films, I guess, coming into this so my apologies there but um yeah i I, but for my memory i really do like this performance quite a lot and the sylvia miles award for best cameo turn supporting actress nomination ruby d uh this bitch is in maybe five percent of this movie and i think that's great that she was able to turn out a supporting nomination for it um she's only in a handful of scenes and in a very 
long movie, or at least it, it feels very long to me. I think it's only maybe two hours and, I don't know, maybe 15 or 20 minutes, but it feels much longer to me for some reason. Um, she does a pretty decent job. I mean, it's always great to see, you know, Ruby D in something. Of course, she's no longer with us, but she mm-hmm. was um, a serious force in the acting world, uh, in theater, television, and film way back in the yeah. day. And mm-hmm. it was nice to see... Um, someone bring her out in a big budget feature like this and feature her in this way. And she gets a couple of really good scenes opposite Denzel Washington, uh, really standing up to him and um, putting him in his place. Uh, He's one of the most powerful men in New York at one point in this movie. And she has no problem slapping him and telling him, get your shit together or your family's going to crumble. And I think she's pretty effective in the, um, few minutes that she has in this movie um she yes she's not in very much and the movie doesn't give her very much material to chew on but i think she makes the most of what she has here and i mean she's 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 in less than 10 minutes of this movie i mean there's no way she's in more than that so um kudos to ruby d for you know turning something that could have also been a throwaway character into um something memorable mm-hmm. I really like this one, too, um, just like Swinton. And Dee is actually a Cleveland native. My grandmother was friends with her um, when they were younger. So I have a one degree of Kevin Bacon separation from Ruby D, which I think is pretty cool. Mm. Um, I never got to meet her. I really wish I would have. But, um, yeah, uh, grandmother was friends with her. Quick side note. Um, I think this is really good. Um, this is that prime example that I always give, like if you have, if you can turn a small performance or any performance into Oscar material, especially in small time, there's a mm-hmm. reason why you're nominated and, or possibly win a la Beatrice straight. Um, she does really good here. I, you know, Brandon, I definitely understand why this movie feels so long. That's because it is two and a half hours without a doubt. It's only, it's about three hours. If you watch the director's cut, which is the most cut or it's the widest available cut of the film. So mm. there is that. Um, but let me just say, I felt that fucking slap. I felt <laughs> yeah. that bitch. Every time <laughs> I revisit that, I, I'm not kidding when I say I grab my cheek, like she slapped me because I'm like, Oh damn. Like, I love that ascent. Like this, this is the type of award season where, yeah, we got it last year with Emily Blunt winning for a quiet place, but SAG so rarely goes to someone you'd least expect when they're up for the Oscar. Mm. So like, yeah, we got Emily Blunt who won. And a couple of years ago we got, um, oh, what's his name for beast of no nation. Idris Elba. Thank you. Idris Elba. But these were actors who were not up for the Oscar, so I love a good, I love a good twist. Um, mm. And yeah, D delivers here. D D is short. D is wonderful, and of course, we love her from things like um, "Do the Right Thing." I yeah. uh, I became familiar with D for playing Mother Abigail in the Stand, and then of course, you know her brilliant, what should have been a nominated performance in "A Raisin in the Sun." I mean, D is a legend. I am so sad that she would never. Like, she didn't need to capitalize on this Oscar. She did a little bit. But, I mean, D was already icon status by the time she got here. So this was the cherry on a beautiful career for her. It's true. The Oscar, Ruby D didn't need the Oscars. The Oscars needed Ruby D. Right. <laughs> yeah. And maybe that's why. Well, 
actresses like Keira Knightley got left out because you had to have Ruby D in there, even if it's just for a slap. But you know what? It was the best slap since Kim Stanley slapped the fuck out of Jessica Lange and Francis. <laughs> womp, womp, womp. All right, moving on then. We have Kate Blanchett playing Jude slash Bob Dylan in I'm Not There. This is her fourth of seven nominations. Going to Oscar night, um, Golden Globe win for Best Supporting and Spirit Award win for Best Supporting. And then she was nominated for the New York Film Critics, the SAG Award, the BAFTA, the Critics' Choice, and the Los Angeles Film Critics Association. Um, and I'm not there. Again, Kate plays Jude, who is essentially the, a Bob Dylan character. She's sharing this role of Bob Dylan with X amount of actors. And this is kind of the, she's playing Bob Dylan in the era where his fame really peaked overseas. Um, so Brandon, what do you think of Kate as Jude and I'm not there? So this is a performance that I really appreciate. Um, I really enjoy watching Kate Planchette's craft being on display here, um, playing Jude and I'm not there. Um, I'm not going to lie. I don't fully understand this movie. Um, I think when I, back when it first came out, I watched it, I would, I would have been like high school and it ended and I was like, I have no idea what I just watched, but it was really interesting. It was, mm -hmm. I had kind of that um, feeling and I revisited the movie for this episode. And I kind of had the same feeling when it ended. I was like, I still don't really get what this movie's saying, but I kind of dig it in a weird way. Um, it could be that I'm just not um, a big music person. I'm not a big Bob Dylan person. So I would imagine people who are closer to that artist or just music in general might um, jibe with this a little bit more um, as a film. But Kate Blanchett's doing something really fascinating here. Um, I kind of just want a Bob Dylan biopic where Kate Blanchett plays Bob Dylan for the whole movie, um, a la Rocket Man or something. I would just, I would pay money to see that, honestly. Um, she's doing something really fascinating here. I'm not entirely sure what's going on, but I really like it. JD. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you as it relates to the film overall. It's one that I'm still grappling with, but I think each segment on their own is really quite fascinating. And maybe I'll be a little bit higher on this performance than you guys. I mentioned earlier that if I was voting, I might go with Sir Ronan in Atonement. But if I didn't, I think Kate Blanchett's performance is the one that I would vote for. I love her as Jude here. And I think what I find really compelling about it is that she's playing this character that is equal parts apathetic about uh, where he finds himself as it relates to the latter part of his career. But then during one of the scenes where she's at this press conference uh, Jude gets angry and offended when accusations start flying all over the place. And I, I think Blanchett's performance is captivating in how she teeters on this line of tragedy and reverence. It's a wonderfully balanced performance that invokes Jude's rich history while tapping into a musician's indifference toward the latter part of their life and career and where the music industry is at that point. It's to me, it's, it's really fascinating and brilliant and how she's able to, you know, tap into all of that. And of course, playing a character that is a pretty significant part of the American culture. And it's 
not the kind of perspective that we would typically see a woman playing this man. And she does it so wonderfully. I, I To me, she completely disappears into the role that you almost forget that it's Kate Blanchett playing this character. And I just, I loved it. There, there are these really little fascinating dichotomies at play, uh, whether you want to get intimately into the character or even, as I said, as broad as Kate Blanchett playing this male figure. Um, I, I I love it. I absolutely, regardless of what I think about the rest of the film, her aspect of it, I think is really wonderful. And yeah, that's that performance, especially I think is pretty transcendent. As Jasmine masters once famously, famously said, no, ma'am, no, ma'am, no, no, ma'am. This (laughs) does not work for me. I think this is Kate Blanchett's weakest nomination she has received. Um, and it's so funny because I was like grabbing, grabbing my pearls, JD, as you were just talking, because like, <laughs> I was like, no. Here we go again. <laughs> well, it's funny because I was going to, I was honestly going to bring up, this is a role where all you can see is Kate Blanchett imitating Bob Dylan. I don't get lost that it isn't her. I, you can totally, I can't even try to take off my visor to like maybe be in disbelief that it's like not her. This is literally Kate Blanchett impersonating Bob Dylan and not doing a good job about it. The fact that she was, I mean, all this, this whole category was open. It could have been anybody to anyone to win, but the fact that she won the golden globe and the spirit, it's like, what are you smoking? Um, this is a performance that comes off as community theater with a really bad wig. And I am honestly disappointed in Kate Blanchett because she is a goddess who deserves better. And she did not deliver here. This is not good. The movie's not good. No, ma'am. No, ma'am. Okay. So I'm somewhere to disagree. (laughs) (laughs) I still love you. It's okay. Yeah. Same. I'm somewhere in between you guys. So I also never really forget that it's Kate Blanchett. I'm always pretty aware of it. Like I'm pretty aware that all the other actors are who they are because of how this movie is cast. And I don't think any of them, Kate Blanchett and also are really trying to be Bob Dylan. They're yeah. sort of this, the, uh, like the spirit or an impression of Bob Dylan at different points in his career. So I don't think any of these performances are an impersonation. Kate Blanchett kind of takes this point in his life and the music he was creating at this point in his life and creates her own version of that person, just like all her castmates yeah. are. Yeah. And, and I guess to articulate further, I don't mean that she disappears into it physically that you can't tell that it's her because clearly it's Kate Blanche Ed. I, I, I do agree with that. I was really more referring to the spirit of the performance and what she's invoking through that artistically as this musician who finds himself being apathetic and then forced to become anything but that when these accusations start flying and the way Blanchette taps into that duality, I think artistically is really gripping. And I think there's a lot to mine out of what she's doing in within the nuance of her performance within those dualities that to me, I find fascinating. So even if I can tell that it's Kate Blanchett and of course she's 
you know, mimicking this person. I don't, I don't think that it's an impersonation. I, I, I agree with you, Brandon. I don't think she's trying to, you know, be a caricature. I think she's just trying to invoke the, you know, again, those, what a, what a musician would feel inside that duality. And that to me, I find incredible. You know, even if I don't love the rest of the film, what she's doing individually, I think is pretty fascinating. And, and there are also a lot of, a lot of moments where it's just her and the camera and it's about the, the subtlety of it and the stoicism that she brings to some of those scenes as well. And I, I love it. I, I much prefer that than something that's loud and rambunctious most of the time. Um, so maybe that's a little bit subjective for me. I, I'm certainly willing to relent that, but I, I love it. Yeah, at the very least, I find this performance in film fascinating. Even if I don't entirely feel like I get it or I'm on board with it, at the very least, I find it very interesting. Mm-hmm. All right, all right. Last up in this category, we have Amy Ryan as Helene McCready in Gone Baby Gone. Again, we got a lot of soul nominations this year. Going into Oscar night, she has nominations from the National Society of Film Critics, the SAG Awards, and the Golden Globes, but she won at Critics' Choice, at the National Board of Review, New York Film Critics Association, and the National Society of Film... Oh, I'm sorry. Nope. Yep. Yep. New York Film Critics, Critics' Choice, and National Board of Review. Yep. Okay. In Gone, Baby Gone, again, Amy plays Helene McCready, who is a mother whose daughter goes missing, only to have, spoiler alert, planned it all herself. Um, Brandon, what do you think about Amy Ryan as Helene McCready in Gone Baby Gone? I think she's incredible in this movie. Um, so this is not necessarily an indication for later on, but on the night of the Oscars, Amy Ryan was my pick to win. I think I had just watched Gone Baby Gone that day, maybe, and it was fresh on my mind, and she leaves a hell of an impression on you in this film. Um, she's in also a very small fraction of this movie, but it feels like she's in so much more. She might only be in 10% of this film, but she sprinkled throughout, and each scene that she's in, she offers some sort of gut punch to the viewer and to her scene partners that it's impossible to forget her. And Amy Ryan does completely disappear into this character, I would say. She completely embodies this person who she is playing. Um, I think, I mean, I'm not from Boston, so I can't uh, attest to the authenticity, but I completely buy her accent in here. I completely buy her mannerisms, um, trying to become this this person of like a, I don't know, it sounds judgmental, but like a lower class person who is, you know, struggling with addiction and poverty Mm -hmm. and is so selfish and desperate that she would do so something so heinous as this mm-hmm. and i completely buy it uh it's you know it's not a character who you might say run into on the street every day but like tilda swinton and michael clayton i believe that this person exists and that's um a testament to amy ryan's performance jd how about you well this one is really interesting because if you guys asked me on to this specific show four years ago, I think I would have had a very different reaction to this film and that performance. I would have liked it certainly and would have respected the art and craft of it on this side of parenthood though. This film is 
completely different for me. So I, it's really hard for me to separate my own parenthood when watching this film and seeing what these characters do. And I completely agree with a lot of what you're saying, Brandon. She is incredible in this film. And I just find it so heartbreaking uh, to see the desperation in that character and the lengths that she's willing to go. I can't even fathom being in that position and, and, and feeling like I need to do this extreme thing to, you know, get out of whatever circumstances or make myself feel better or whatever the motives may have been. It's, you know, it's obviously dramatically riveting to see how it all, all unfolds cinematically. And I think her performance as small as it may be in the film, like you said, when she's there, there's some sort of hammer coming down and that's absolutely because of her performance and how great she is. So yeah, I'm, I'm with you. This is a nomination. I, I absolutely quite adore here. Yeah, I would agree with that. This is a, a great nomination. Um, I'm actually really kind of uh, bothered with the fact that this is Amy Ryan's only nomination too. Um, I don't think the film as a whole is great. I think Ryan is definitely the strongest thing in this movie. And there's a good chunk of this movie where she, her character just gets side, like, like mm-hmm. backburned and we're following Michelle Monaghan and Casey Affleck and it's just like, it's boring without her. So I think really Ryan is the glue that makes anything in this movie worth it. Um, it was funny, Brandon, that you mentioned the, the accent thing, because I remember um, on her campaign specifically uh, her saying that there was a point where she got into character before she came to set and security wouldn't allow her on set because they didn't know she was in the movie because she sounded like the people from the area she was at. So like she had to get, wow. she had to call the director to be like, yo, come get him. I'm in the movie. So <laughs> clearly it, it's that it was that good. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I definitely think that Ryan is the best thing of uh, crappy movie, but um, what she agree to disagree here, again. Shocking. Okay. <laughs> Welcome again to a Um you know, I it, to be honest with you, if if we're gonna touch on the movie really quick, I kind of feel like this movie wanted, in a way, to be Mystic River and just couldn't. Same author. Yeah, oh, there it is. So yeah, I mean, it is. She's really, really good in a not so good movie. And again, I think she is the best thing about what we're watching in this film. And there is a point where she leaves and you miss her, and that is the testament to how good she is here. So I dig it. I dig this performance a lot. I don't think Gone Baby Gone is a crappy movie, but I think it could be improved. Um, Mostly, I don't like how Michelle Monaghan is just kind of tossed aside for so much of this movie. Um, I never read Gone Baby Gone, but I read a couple of other Dennis Lehane books. Uh, So these characters that she and Casey Affleck play are part of a series of mystery novels, and Gone Baby Gone, I think, is the fourth one. Um, She has a much larger presence in in the books, but the movie kind of downplays her a lot and puts a lot of the responsibilities on the Casey Affleck um, detective. And I think the movie would have been improved had Michelle Monaghan had more of a presence. Um, I, like I said, I have not read this novel in the series, so maybe the novel does that as well and focuses more on him. But um, I didn't like that um, 
Michelle Monaghan always kind of felt like she's on the back burner. So that's one thing I would improve with this movie, but um, I wouldn't call it crappy. I think it explores some very interesting themes um, and the cast overall is quite strong. And I think the movie does um, have quite a punch to it in the end. And of course, Amy Ryan is just the cherry on top of everything. Fair enough. I, I, I would agree that it is somewhat of a challenging film. So I, I understand why it's not for everybody, but there's something about it that I find thought provoking and poignant. And again, maybe it's just my own parenthood and how that subjectively ties me further into this story. I, again, I'm certainly willing to admit that, but um, I, I, I really like it. I, this sits at number 14 on my 27 list. So I, I am a big fan of it. Damn, look at you with the stats being all number 14. Yeah, well, I have it. Yeah. I, I pulled it up right here in front of me. So I'm looking at okay. the list right now. Yeah. I thought, I thought you did that randomly. I was like, good for you. <laughs> um, yeah. We have a question about this whole category from Greg Adams at GAdams94. Um, so let's put out in my thinking caps really quick. Supporting actors seemed generally wide open. How close do you think it was? And who on Oscar night do you think came in second? Um, I am honestly going to say, I think Ruby D came in second here. Number one, she won SAG. And as we know, the actors branch in the Academy is the biggest voting branch. And obviously actors went for SAG. So I think she had that going for her. I also think she had her icon status going for her in her campaign. And unlike, um, an older actor who was also nominated that year, Hal Holbrook, people actually, mm, shade. People actually knew who Ruby D was, and therefore I think a lot of her It's About Time, which I'm not a huge fan of, played into this. But I would say Ruby D probably came in second, and it was a, probably a close race. What do you guys think? I think Ruby D makes sense. Um, I could see how her her like legendary status would have played into things. And you know, like you said, uh, she took SAG, which is a big voting uh, body and the academy so i think it's it stands to reason that ruby d if not second would have been a very close third um I, for some reason i don't see as good as they are i don't see ryan or ronan winning and blanchett's a little bit too out there i think so i guess ruby d makes the most sense to me pragmatically yeah i leave it up to the experts so whatever you guys said I'm with that. Oh, Brandon, he called us experts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like him. Let, let, let's have him on every episode. I give, me, give me compliments. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, you I'll keep him coming. He go even more. <laughs> no, no one tell JD that we're making this up all the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, you just, make it convincing, are... so... You know, I'm a, I'm a stick to my criticism or my, uh, my, uh, my compliments of you guys. I, I'm all for you guys. You guys, you guys sound really great. So I think it's real. What you guys are saying. Fake it. We fake it the whole way through. <laughs> this, oh yeah. This, this, I... this, this whole podcast is an orgasm. We are just faking it till we make it. Let me tell you. Hey, that's not no a bad way to approach clue. life. <laughs> <laughs> what was that, Brandon? I uh, said, so we got no fucking clue. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, right, you guys, guys are good are actors then just... maybe you guys are in the wrong industry then i am ready for my oscar thank you very much <laughs> yeah there should be a podcast talking about us you know <laughs> indeed 
Uh, I'm going to find someone. We're going to we're going to start that up. The Academy Queens Appreciation Show. Look for that later on in 2020. Coming to a podcast near you. <laughs> yeah. Brandon, take us away. Okay. Your nominees for Best uh, Lead Actress in 2007 were Marion Cotillard for La Vie en Rose, Kate Blanchett for Elizabeth the Golden Age, Julie Christie for Away From Her, Laura Lenny for Savages, and Ellen Page for Juno. Okay, let's start off with our winner for the year, Marion Cotillard, uh, winning for La Vie en Rose. This is her first of two nominations, and so far her only win. Going into this, she was a bit of a frontrunner as she took the Golden Globe for Comedy Musical, the BAFTA, the Cesar Award, and the Los Angeles Film Critics, and she was nominated with SAG, the Critics' Choice, and the National Society of Film Critics. In La Vie en Rose, Marion Cotillard plays Edith Piaf, the... Um, and the film chronicles her life from childhood to old age, from rags to fame to retirement. So, JD, how do you feel about Marion Cotillard in La Vie en Rose? Uh, really great. Putting it mildly, I do think she is very good. Disappears into this role. I, I mean, generally, I love Marion Cotillard. I don't know if she's capable of giving a bad performance. And I do think she is really great in this film. I haven't seen it in uh, some time now. I wasn't able to, unfortunately, revisit the film before doing our own 2007 retrospective um, uh, last year, two years ago, whenever we did that. But I do really like her in this film quite a bit. And I think she's able to um, to tap into the vulnerabilities of this character and, and given who she was and, you know, and I, a lot of people may know the story, even if you aren't familiar with Edith, you can imagine a lot of what she went through as it mirrors a lot of, uh, a lot of American stars who are put into the same position. And I, she's really great. I think it, it's a, it's a poignant performance, a really nuanced one. And, um, one that I, I really do quite like a lot here. Oh, magnifique. Je, je lentement, il est pure. Um, <laughs> I love Marion Cotillard here as il est pure. Mm. Um, there was something very special about this performance for me. Mm. And anyone who's listened to us by now, with the exception of Mary Christine Barreau, speaking of second time this, on this podcast, um, I, I, I tend to go for French performances because I love the language. So I'm a little biased there. Taking the bias away, I think what she does here is, again, magnifique. Um, it, there is something where you completely, unlike Blanchett as Bob Dylan, you forget you're watching this actress and this could have actually been Edith Piaf on screen. Um, the scene that always comes to mind for me outside of her brilliant, well, just everything in this movie is when Marcel dies and her, the team around here, her, she's actually like having, um, an, an illusion of him in the room and the team, uh, tells her that she is, well, that he's dead and she loses it. 
And it slowly shows this transition of a mental break because the scene directly goes into a performance and all of that pain that was probably shot weeks before, Kothiar can continue to give in this beautiful performance on stage. And everything from the costumes to the direction, Olivier Audin is beautiful as a director here. And hats off to the Academy for giving this foreign language film this Oscar win. Fucking mm. kudos. Mm. Yeah, Tammy Brown really snapped in this movie, and <laughs> I love it. Um, yeah, Marion Cotillard is fantastic in La Vie en Rose. Um, so I remember this was a movie that I was not able to see until after the Oscars uh, back in 2008, I guess, is when the ceremony would have aired, because I'm from a small town and our theater only got like the big blockbuster, so I had to wait for most things to come out on DVD. And... Um, Knowing that she had won going into watching it, it was very clear to me pretty much right away why she won, because she is magnificent in this movie. Um, she does completely disappear into this performance, but unlike Blanchette, I think she's meant to in this one, because this is much more a direct traditional biopic. So um, it makes sense why she would completely disappear into this um, true to life figure. And I don't know very much about the real Edith Piaf, but I feel like I do when the movie's over. Um, Cotillard's way of speaking and mannerisms and little gestures all feel so specific, mm -hmm. almost like she just watched a video of Piaf and just bit by bit perfected it. Um, not to say that she's just doing an impersonation because she's bringing so much life to it. It's not just, you know, mime work. Um, she's really great here and very effective. Um, she really pulls at the heartstrings and makes you feel all kinds of things throughout this movie. She has moments of humor that are very warranted in this because uh, this movie at times gets kind of bleak. Um, her life wasn't always great. Um, and Cotillard plays her from, you know, a very young age all the way into her, her elderly years. And there are distinctions in the way she speaks and moves um, throughout her life. And the movie kind of jumps back and forth a little bit. And like Joey was saying, of course, they film this completely out of order. Um, scenes filmed days, weeks apart. But you would never know that because Cotillard is so specific in the way the character evolves over the course of this film. And I really respect this win. Um, it, I'm really happy that the Academy was willing to give it to a foreign performance, which doesn't happen very often. So yeah, I think she's really great in La Vie en Rose. Agreed. So hard. <laughs> um, we, have, we have a question actually from Catherine Short. If La Vion Rose had been an English-language film, would Marion Cotillard have had an easier path to winning her Academy Award? Or did the narrative of her being a foreign ingenue help her chances? Um, I don't know with this one. First of all, I, I, La Vion Rose would not have worked as an English-language film. Let's just start there. I think that would be like taking something like Parasite, for an example, and trying to make an English film. Like a language plays such a big role in this film that it just wouldn't have worked. 
Um, I don't know if it's fair to say she would have had an easier path to win because, I, I mean, I, Marion, I don't think, was projected to win that night. I think she was considered the possible dark horse winner, but I'm not sure. What about you guys? JD, do you want to go first? You know, like I said, with questions like this, I leave it to the experts here. Uh, so whatever you guys say, I hold as truth. Um, and <laughs> uh, that's what I'm going with. So, I mean, because I really don't, I don't really know is the simple answer to that. Um, uh, yeah, I, I don't, I don't really know what else to say, I guess. So whatever you guys say, I echo it. You're so cute. <laughs> I like him a lot. So kind of like what you were saying, I don't really want an English language version of this film. And to be perfectly honest, if it was an English language film, I don't think Marion Cotillard would be playing the part. And that's not because she would be unqualified. It's because if it was an English language film, they would get a more bankable American star to play it. You know what I mean? Yep. Does that make sense? So I feel like... Um, so no, I don't think she would have a, a better chance at winning or a more likely chance if it was English language because I don't think she would even be playing the part. And that's kind of shitty. But um, yeah, La Vie en Rose deserves to be in French. Uh, I don't think the movie would really work as well um, if it weren't in English. I will say, though, um, while I, I can't speak to how things would have changed or played out, I leave that to you guys. But I, I love that she is winning for, you know, for this foreign language performance. Um, I, there's something about the authenticity of that, that I would hope would provoke the Academy to look more into this, um, or, you know, and not just nominating, but allowing some of these performances to, to win. I mean, I, the Academy hasn't done it a ton since 2007. There's been some nominations. I don't, I mean, maybe you guys can, you guys are the experts. So maybe you guys can fill in the gaps here for me. If anyone else has won for a foreign language performance, but um, I know every single year in my own personal categories, I have, I have several and, and I, I, I award many of them. Um, and, and I know there's a lot of politics and marketing that goes into the Oscars and how all that plays out. But um, I just, I love it when the Academy is looking beyond their typical boundaries. And this is a great example of that. Hopefully, hopefully we can get another one of these soon, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, I will say if there was going to be an English language version of this, um, there's one person who I think could have done it really well. And Brandon, who do you think that is? Karen Black. Karen Black. Why? Because Karen Black can play anything, and I don't give a fuck. I honestly wasn't <laughs> sure if you were going Karen Black there, but I figured there was a good shot. <laughs> you know I gotta bring her up every episode. This is the Karen Black Stand podcast. That's right. <laughs> okay, well, our next nominee is Kate Blanchett, nominated here for Elizabeth the Golden Age. This is her fifth of seven nominations. Um... Going into this, she doesn't win anything major, but she is recognized uh, with a nomination for a Golden Globe for Drama uh, with BAFTA, SAG, Critics' Choice, and an Empire Award. In Elizabeth the Golden Age, Kate Blanchett plays Queen Elizabeth I, and this film is a continuation of the story that began in 1998's Elizabeth, and this one involves the Spanish Armada, Queen uh, or Mary Queen of Scots, 
and a bunch of male suitors for Elizabeth. So Joey, how do you feel about Kate Blanchett and Elizabeth Colin, the Golden Age? Yes, come through with a sequel nomination, honey. I fucking love it. Um, <laughs> this is definitely the better of the two Kate Blanchett nominations this year, which is weird because this one gets shit on a lot by people, and I don't understand why. Because she's got a hurricane in her, sir, that will tear the down Spain, and it is fucking brilliant. And I want more, and it's loud, and it's obnoxious, and oh my god, I'm describing myself. No, um, <laughs> it is. <laughs> it is no. This is really good. I like this one. I don't understand. I think this is better than her Elizabeth one nomination, but I like the loud performances. Um, I have no complaint over this one, and this one is amazing, and I like it. And if you hate on this, you smoke crack. What about you? <laughs> JD, do you smoke crack? Um, <laughs> perhaps. <laughs> no, I don't smoke crack. Look, Kate Blanchett, is, she can never give a bad performance. So let me start she off can. by saying... She can never give a bad performance. Let me start <laughs> off by saying that. It is the lesser of the two for me. So I guess if we're continuing that trend, I do think she is good here. And it's hard for me to falter. I do feel bad for what I'm about to say because I, I think really more so it's the writing of the film than anything that I don't love. I'm not a fan of this film. And while she is good, I think she transcends what's on the page. She is explosive as Joey is saying, and she's really great when she becomes furious and is evoking all kinds of emotion, but there's something about the writing of the film that makes it a bit, stale for me or a bit trite i'm not exactly sure but i don't i don't love it but that's it's mostly the writing and directing of the film i much prefer her and i'm not there i think that's by far the better of the two performances uh but i also understand this is the kind of stuff the academy goes for so while i wouldn't have nominated her myself at least for this i certainly would have nominated her for i'm not there but um, I understand why people go for it. I understand why the Academy went for it, even if it's not my favorite among these nominees here. Yeah, it's not my favorite either. This is actually the one performance that has never really been high up on my list um, before. Um, I think the movie does kind of let her down. Um, I think Elizabeth the Golden Age is not nearly as good as Elizabeth. Um, I don't entirely get why this movie had to happen. I don't think it really um, rationalizes its own existence for me. Um, I suppose if they were to just continue making Elizabeth films, it would make sense as a series. But since we only have the two, I'm not sure why we needed the second one. Um, I'm not sure if we're really getting anything different from Blanchett that we didn't get in Elizabeth. Um, mm -hmm. This is, of course, her at an older, slightly older period in her life, and she's a little more wiser and more settled in her power so we have a little bit of change in her from a narrative perspective but um i find the film and i suppose the performance uninteresting because i feel like it's just going through the motions and blanchette doesn't give a bad performance but the movie's not really elevating her in any way i agree so although she's not bad in this and yeah, she does get shit on a lot for this one. It's not one that I'm very keen to rally around because um, it just feels very uninteresting to me. 
So I guess I smoke crack. <laughs> crack smokers, both of you. <laughs> I'm on a podcast Sorry. episode with a bunch of crack smokers. I believe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, that's I kind of knew going into this, I'd be alone in this one because I definitely um am the minority in thinking that this is the better of the Elizabeth nominations. So it, it wasn't really a surprise to me, but I got to have fun with you both. So why not? Anything else on Elizabeth Colin, the Golden Age? I stop saying Colin. (laughs) (laughs) Well, well, uh, next we have Julie Christie nominated for Away From Her. This is her fourth of four nominations. So as of right now, it's her most recent. Going into this, she was a bit of a front runner. because she wins the Golden Globe for drama, she wins with SAG, Critics' Choice, National Board of Review, National Society of Film Critics, and with the New York Film Critics. And she's nominated with BAFTA. In Away From Her, Julie Christie plays Fiona Anderson, a woman with Alzheimer's who moves into a nursing home and begins a romance with um, another one of the nursing home residents as her husband sort of watches from the outside. JD, how do you feel about Julie Christie in Away From Her? Love this performance. This is far and away my favorite of these five. Um, And part of it, I think, is the writing uh, and directing of the film and what we see with her character in this film. I just find it all so beautifully nuanced. There's a lot to the central relationship of this film that I think is... Um, wonderful in its depiction of of what both of these characters are going through. And I think Julie Christie it wonderfully um, taps into the mind of this character who is slowly losing her mind. And um, it's, it's heartbreaking. It's devastating. It's beautiful. I absolutely love this film and this performance. I, I, I cannot say enough good things about it. She, if I had a vote, it would have gone to Julie Christie for sure. Hands down. I don't like it. I don't want it. I don't like the movie. I think this performance is terrible. This is such a mind-boggling nomination. It is such a depressing movie. There's no good outcome to this. Yeah, give me that. Give me that all day. <laughs> I don't want it. I, I just, I, mm, I don't like Julie Christie. There is not a, well, let me rephrase that because we haven't touched 1960 whatever when she won for Darling. But I, know this doesn't work for me. Um, I also don't, uh, my grandmother, speaking of her coming up again the second time in this, suffers from Alzheimer's. And I guess like, yes, everyone deals with it differently, but this was a very, obviously I saw this years before she had gotten it. So after dealing with someone who has Alzheimer's, this movie comes off very phony to me um, because it's not quote unquote as beautiful as the way it's portrayed here in the most weird way. Uh, This does not work for me. Nope, I'm going to pass. So I do admire this performance quite a bit. Um, I remember on the night of the Oscars, this was my pick to win of what I had seen. Of course, like I said, back then I was pretty limited in what I was able to see. I don't remember all of what I had, actually. But I remember on the night, for some reason, this was my pick. Um, I've never had a personal connection to Alzheimer's. So um, 
basically just watching the film, um, it did have an, an effect on me. Um, Julie Christie, I think, does pretty well in the more subtle, low-key films that she's in. Um, I think that's where she really thrives. And there is a lot of tender subtlety to this performance and how her illness comes and goes and slowly changes her. And then she goes back and then it changes her again and she goes even deeper. And yeah, I'm sure it does affect everyone who suffers from it differently. I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure no one, or not everyone goes through it the same way. But um, I believe this version of what we're seeing from Julie Christie, um, it's not, you know, the loudest performance in the lineup, but there's something about it that feels very truthful to me as someone who, like I said, has not dealt with it personally. But um, watching it again uh, for the first time since 2007 or eight, whenever I did see it, um, it worked for me still. So... Mm -hmm. I understand why she was a front runner going into this. Um, this is a performance where I think she does excel. I'm also not the biggest fan of Julie Christie. She's a very hit and miss performer with me, but this is one that um, really does work for me. Yeah. And I think part of why it works for me, although I very much sympathize with Joey and what he was saying, because I don't, I don't have a personal connection to Alzheimer's either. What I would argue though, with the film artistically is that I don't, I don't think the film is as much about the disease itself as much as I think it's uh reflection upon it where the past, the present, the future of coping with it, it all collides in this machination of being misunderstood and fully understood all at the same time. So narratively and, and within the characterization of our two central leads, there's a lot of nuance and complexity with it that I think is authentic from a relational standpoint, from an artistic standpoint. And that to me, I think is what drives the film and, and the performances amplify all of that. Um, and that to me, I think is why I love this performance and how Christie is able to exude, you know, those, those themes and, and what it means for these characters as they go through, you know, her unraveling and reflecting on their lives because of what's happening in their present. Um, so for me, I, that to me, I think is what I love about the film. I don't, I don't think it's trying to talk about Alzheimer's as much as it is the humanity underneath it. Understood. I get it. Um, I just want the record to, to show that again, I didn't have a connection to this for our listeners um, until a couple of years ago. So revisiting uh, this time was a little, was a little rough for me. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, that's fair. Because my grand, my grandmother was, is one of the most important people in my life. And sure. um, even I will say, back in 08 when I saw this I didn't like the performance so please when I say for anyone listening no I don't like it it has nothing to do with my connection to it I mean that does play a small part but I just I never liked this performance so just know that okay. that reaction did not come from my own personal connection to it fair enough yeah that makes sense uh, yeah um we kind of have two questions uh I'm gonna pair them together uh, from Fritz and the Oscars and Andrew Carden. Um, starting with Fritz, should Gordon Pinsett have been the acclaimed star of Away From Her instead of Julie Christie? 
And then did from Andrew, did Olympia Caucus deserve a nom for away from her? And then he puts the correct answer is yes. Um, <laughs> no to Gordon. And I would say no to Dukakis. Um, I don't think either of them were worthy or really the stars of. But what about you, J.D.? What do you think? Uh, Gordon Pissant absolutely deserved a nomination. I think he gave one of the best performances of 2007 with this film as well. Um, and I think that's part of why I love the film. I think the two performances here are pretty astounding, especially given how I interpreted the film anyway. Um, and what it means to me from an artistic perspective, I, yeah, Pissant, I, I absolutely would have nominated. He would have made my top five. Absolutely. What about Dukakis? Um, I'd have to revisit the film, honestly, to answer that question specifically. But, um, what is vivid in my mind are Julie Christie and Gordon Pissan, that they're the two that stand out for me, I guess. So, um, I'll revisit the film and I'll come back to you in a month. How about that? Or tomorrow. (laughs) Because I might watch this tonight now. I'm inspired. So I say absolutely to Gordon Pinsett. Um, he gives a heart-wrenching performance in this film. I agree. Um, kind of like what JD was saying, beyond Alzheimer's, away from her is a very sad, yet also somehow very sweet romance film. Um, it's kind of hard to explain, I guess. But the ways... Julie Christie's character and um, Audrey, I think his name is, the other gentleman with Alzheimer's, who Aubrey, I think is, yeah. is yeah, all right, Aubrey, it, I believe he's Dukakis's husband, right? That's how they come together. Um, I think so, yeah. Yeah, the way they begin their romance um, inside the nursing home, um, finding solace in one another in their different states of mind as Pinsett and Dukakis are on the outside is very fascinating to me. And Pinsett's um, observations of his wife of many decades slowly um, drifting away from him and finding comfort in another man Mm -hmm. through no fault of her own whatsoever, Mm -hmm. I find so beautiful yet so tragic all at the same time and Pinsett balances it so well because you can see in him how hurt he is by all this and yet how at the same time he understands what's going on and can find himself forgiving her for something that's not her fault Mm -hmm. and he has to come to terms with it all and accept it and as much as I love Julie Christie in this, I actually find found myself on my most recent rewatch gravitating more toward his performance. So I would say, yeah, he would probably make my lineup if I were to make one. Yeah. And and honestly, even though I mentioned that Julie Christie would probably get my vote of the five nominees within the film itself, I'm I'm actually with you, Brandon. I, I actually prefer Pincent overall as well. And that's why, to me, I for, I would have nominated him for Best Actor from, from this film as well. I think he absolutely gives equally as good a performance, if not better. And, and I was drawn to a lot of that as well, because it tethers 
to what I was saying earlier about the reflection of this film and the humanity of it, which I love. We need more films directed by Sarah Polly. I agree. That's the bottom line. That is the first thing I wrote in my letterbox review for this film. <laughs> so take this waltz was amazing. <laughs> yeah. So stories is the tell. stories we tell. Yeah. yeah. One of my favorite docs of the 2010s, hands down. And, and you know what? She was great in the Dawn of the Dead remake. Mm, yeah. Just throwing that and out. People don't remember. Splice was also really good from her. I mean, yeah. she didn't direct it, but she was in it. Mm-hmm. Go Sarah. Um, yeah. I feel like I am on a I am on a third wheel on a date with you two because this <laughs> agreeing bullshit and I am just lo- like fuck you. I'm boy. sorry. <laughs> I know I feel like if we ever meet up in person, I'm gonna have to buy you a drink or two or many because I, I feel terrible for having to uh to disagree so often on the show with you. So I gotta remedy that somehow. We're gonna tell this man how much I'm gonna hold him to that. He will. Okay. Oh yeah. We'll we'll make it happen. One of these days, we'll make it happen. <laughs> what? Well, wait, not to be not to be creepy. What state do you live in? Florida, South Florida. Oh, no. So if you guys want a no, vacation, you, nope, nope. You gotta come here. Don't like Florida. <laughs> don't like. Fair Florida. enough. I don't blame you at all. <laughs> do not blame you. <laughs> if, ever, if you ever come up north, we got you. But that's and know. that's <laughs> honestly that is. We might have to make that happen because I'm I'm from Michigan originally and in Ohio, so I I I get homesick a lot, especially during the winter months down here when it's still freaking eighty degrees. Uh, so coming to the north uh, to visit you guys, I, that's a great excuse for me to get out of Florida and head toward that direction. So we should make that happen. Oh my God, we have a date. <laughs> <laughs> Bring your wallet, well, JD. Aqua <laughs> <laughs> is ready to drink. <laughs> that's okay. I, I certainly owe a few, that's for sure. <laughs> well, we'll see. We'll see here come rankings how much we agree, but I don't think it's going to be much. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> well, our fourth uh, leading lady is Laura Lenny, nominated for The Savages. This is her third of three nominations, uh, which is a crime. She should have many. Uh, Going into this, she did not win anything major, and most of her nominations came in the form of critics and festival prizes. She didn't really get uh, rack up the big major nominations uh, for the most part. Um, In The Savages, Laura Lenny plays Wendy Savage, a struggling writer who, with her brother, must care for their abusive father, who can no longer look after his himself when his dementia becomes too serious Mm -hmm. so joey how do you feel about laura lenny and the savages between dementia and alzheimer's we got a fucking theme academy this year (laughs) Um, i like this performance a lot actually i just think poor laura lenny because it's like uh, well okay recording this we haven't talked about 2004 yet Brandon and I still have to do that one, but like, it seems that every year Laura Linney is up. She doesn't stand a chance to win because there's like, she, she gets another backburn from everyone else around her. And this is no, this is no, um, no, uh, I can't English right now, but yeah, uh, no different. 
Um, Linny, I think, is really good. I actually revisited this the other night, and I had texted or called you, Brandon, and I was like, yeah, like, I, re- like, watched The Savages, and it was a lot different from what I remembered. But there is a point in this movie where the movie as a whole slags, and not even Linny can pick it up. I think the first half is really good, like, when she gets, when she steals the, the oxycodone and and, like, has to take her dad on the plane, and she's, like, dealing with the idea of what's going on with her. Or with him, but it's like once the brother sister dynamic fades, I'm fighting where to put dad. I think the, the movie suffers a lot. I will say something I do really like her in this. There isn't really a bad moment with her for me in this, but this movie made me really sad in a way because you know, with mm-hmm. this decade, we're revisiting these films and there's a lot of um Philip Seymour Hoffman, and it makes me wonder mm-hmm. like what he would be doing today. And so between Almost Famous and Doubt and now this, I'm just kind of, and Capote coming up, I'm just like, oh, mm. Philip. So that definitely yeah. made me sad. JD, what about you? Well, I'm with you in terms of the Philip Seymour Hoffman love. I, we recently did Best of the Decade, as I mentioned, and we talked a lot about The Master on our show because he gave my favorite supporting performance of the 2010s in that film. So yeah, for reflecting back on his career and life it is sad um but i really like this film it sits at number 19 in my top 20 and laura linney i think is really great the performances all around i think are quite masterful in this film and uh for a movie that's talking about aging and loss and coping with you know the realities of getting older i think the performances are really great in reflecting those themes And for as hefty as it gets at times in its narrative, this film crackles for me. I I think it's hysterical. And a lot of it comes down to Laura Lenny and Philip Seymour Hoffman and their dynamic and banter throughout the film. It's great. It is, it is so, so good. Um, I, I love Laura Lenny in this film. I'm happy for the nomination and I, I, I wish more, we get more nominations like this, like more performances like this, that, uh, you know, teeter between drama and humor uh, so incessantly as this film does. And I I find it incredibly affecting. Um, so, yeah, I, I love Laura Lenny in this film. Yeah, so do I. I think the secret to getting more films like this is giving Tam- Tamara Jenkins yeah. a lot of money and just letting her make I agree. I um, agree. <laughs> because I really yep. like The Savages as well. Um this is a movie that I really liked back when it first came out, and it was such a joy to revisit because even though on one level it is very sad, it is also, like JD said, very funny. It's very darkly funny and kind of sickly funny yeah. in a way. Like the whole thing with their dad smearing his feces all over the wall and the way it plays out and the way people react to it is hysterical. Yeah, the reactions um, are great. On the one hand, it's hysterical, and yet at the same time, it's also very deeply troubling. Yeah. So Jenkins and Lenny and Hoffman balance all this out really well. Mm-hmm. And Lenny gets some of the funniest moments in the movie. Um, I, Of course, you know, the big red pillow scene is one of the most quotable. And all her whole um, deal with, um, is it the MacArthur grant that she's trying to get? And yep. She's been, you know, applying for years and only a handful of get it, get it. And, you know, it's probably largely 
a nepotism thing, uh, determining who gets it. So chances are um, it's never going to happen for her. But then she plays it off like she got it. And Hoffman's character, her brother, kind of believes her and is kind of jealous. And she's playing into it, even though it's a total lie. Um, it's a really fun um, dynamic that she has with Hoffman and the way they bicker and argue about what to do with their dad, who they have a very um, difficult relationship with, given how he treated them when they were younger. Um, so we see all different sides of Laura Linney. This movie offers her many opportunities, and she definitely seizes on them. Um, this is a really wonderful um, nomination, but like Joey was saying, she has this very unfortunate recurring circumstance where she keeps getting put in these lineups with some really heavy hitters. So unfortunately, it hasn't worked out for Laura Linney yet, but I'm sure she'll get her fourth nomination at some point, and uh, hopefully it works out that time. Yeah, I agree. And Tamara Jenkins needs to be making films more than once every 10 years. Right. Someone needs to fix that. So we kind of already touched on this, but I just want to bring this up again. We can just do this with a quick yes or no from Nick um, Cipriano on, uh, on almost said on Academy Queens. Um, Kira Knightley got in at both Golden Globe and BAFTA for Atonement, whereas Laura Linney didn't show up anywhere for Savages. Do you think Kira Knightley should have made the final cut? Um, no. If the question is, would I bump Laura Lenny for Kira Knightley? The answer is no. And I agree with the experts. Oh my God, our first agreement. <laughs> I know. <laughs> That's all we got for Laura Lenny. <laughs> yeah, she's great. Our fifth and final leading lady of 2007 is Ellen Page, nominated for Juno. This is somehow her only nomination, which baffles me. Uh, going into this, she wins with the Indie Spirit Awards, the MTV Movie Awards, and she wins the National Board of Review Award for Breakout Performance. And she's also nominated at the Golden Globes for Comedy Musical uh, with BAFTA, SAG, Critics' Choice, Empire, and the New York Film Critics Circle. In Juno, Ellen Page plays Juno McGuff, a high schooler who experiments sexually with her best friend, only to wind up pregnant. She then chooses to not abort and begins the process of finding a family to adopt the child that she will eventually give birth to. So, J.D., how do you feel about Ellen Page in Juno? Well, I feel like Juno and Ellen Page fall into this camp that happens pretty often in our culture, especially you know, the film community, when things become so popular that people start to become more critical of it or analyze it more than maybe other films. And I, I think, at least from what I've seen in the discourse, whenever this film is brought up, people do talk about it in that way and talk about maybe how overrated it is or how overrated Ellen Page is. And that's fine. If people feel that way, that's fine. But I... For me, I love this film. I mentioned earlier, it's in my top five for 2007. I still feel that way. And I love this performance from Ellen Page. I think she is so great and quirky and weird and wonderful. But as the film progresses, she evolves from someone who is this teenager who's just trying to figure out her life 
into someone that is more mature in the end, at least in some way, given what she goes through in this film and how, you know, she goes through some pretty weird circumstances. I don't know if we're, if we're allowed to give spoilers away. I'll just leave it vague, I guess. But um, they've had like 13 years to watch this movie. Go ahead. Okay. <laughs> you know, because there's, there's the turn of um, uh, the Michael Sarah character, like their relationship goes sour a little bit. And then she befriends the Jason Bateman character of Mark and that gets pretty weird when she starts to, or the, the, she starts to come on to him, I believe is how it goes. And then that turns into something that is weird. But I think what I like about all of that is that it's this young teenager who is, you know, trying, trying to do what's best given this circumstance. And she's very earnest and sincere in it all, but also becomes a bit lost. And, vulnerable and so then she makes choices that might well it reflects that vulnerability i think is the best way to put it um and so there's some tension that comes about with the male figures in her life other than her dad who is wonderfully played by jk simmons and that dynamic is great as well um i just i love everything about this film and where it goes in the end you know, especially with the relationship that Juno has with Vanessa Jennifer Garner is also very good here. Um, I just, it, this is quintessentially endearing for me. And Ellen page is embodies that immaculately. I don't know how to follow that up. God damn. Um, <laughs> I'm going to give you my best Meg Ryan impersonation. Are you guys ready? Yeah. Yes. Oh, <laughs> yes. Um, this performance is fan-fucking-tastic this is so good and Mm -hmm. it is one of those performances that have in it has in like stood the test of time because i honestly would probably say out of the lineup here this is the most famous of the five and i think that's because Mm -hmm. juno was such a pop culture yeah. Like pop cultural moment in yes. 2007, mm-hmm. um, especially for my generation. Did he, how old are you? Uh, 34. So, for yeah, so for Brandon and I, I mean, you're almost there, but I feel like for our generation yeah. being in high school, this was like yeah. a big fucking deal. Um, yeah. I think she's great here. I think every quirky line deliveries on point, Diablo Cody earned that nominate or mm-hmm. earned that win for writing. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's really sad that Paige hasn't been able to return because she hasn't gotten projects. I would say Whip It was actually pretty good, maybe worthy of a nomination. But um, I, I definitely don't think that um, Paige has gotten her dues from this nomination, which is unfortunate. Um, and especially if you guys have seen like the Umbrella, Umbrella Academy, this, this woman can act. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, she, she's on point. There's not a sour note to her performance. You feel her pain. You feel her joy. You feel her being scared. Um, yeah, there's not a negative thing I can say here. And you, JD, said so much already that I don't know, again, how I could top that. Um, I will say I was surprised that we didn't get this question. Um, one of our favorite listeners, Justin Priest, we were actually talking on Instagram the other day. And he's like, do you think Jennifer Garner should have gotten a nomination from here? I was like, fuck no. If someone was going to get a supporting actress here, it should have been Allison Janney. Short, mm-hmm. brief, yes, but yeah. hilarious. 
Um, so I don't mm-hmm. know how you guys feel about Garner, but that's just my two or that's my two cents on Juno and Ellen Page. A hundred percent is amazing. Mm-hmm. To touch on Garner, um, I would be okay if she had uh, been nominated here. Um, I think she does give a very sincere performance, and um, her the ending with her sort of punctuates that for me. Yeah. Um, Janie is also great, and she is um, supporting, more supporting, I guess you could say. Um, I guess she has less screen time is what I'm saying. Um, but she is really funny. Like, the whole bit about doctors being sadists uh, makes me laugh every time. Um, yeah, I would have been okay with either of those women getting nominated here. Um, Ellen Page, though, I think is tremendous in Juno. Uh, I think she really captures the moment um this movie feels very 2007 like when i watch this movie it i see like my high school life because that's you know the age i was when this movie came out and even though we didn't quite talk like that this very like heightened dialogue that diablo cody has created that somehow works in this world um it feels very authentic to me in a way um diablo cody absolutely Uh, deserved this win um i own the screenplay of juno and i think it's one of the best written scripts um that i've ever read um Mm -hmm. ellen page though nails it um she really takes diablo cody's words and makes them her own and it feels like they are coming from her own mind like diablo cody's writing on the one on one hand feels very written because it's so heightened in a way it's like her own weird quirky version of aaron sorkin dialogue but ellen page is able to take it and it sounds like it belongs coming from her and i think that takes something truly special i don't know how many actors could have done that it's like when you hear a really great shakespearean actor delivering a soliloquy and it doesn't sound like you're hearing Shakespeare. It sounds like they're being true to you as an audience member, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Like, it doesn't happen very often, but every once in a while, that'll happen, um, you know, at the theater. And um, Ellen Page does that in her own way. And uh, I think that's commendable. And her um, emotional core in this film is so palpable. The way she goes from being this, you know, sort of weird, quirky girl in the beginning to really um, taking on this responsibility of, you know, carrying this um, soon-to-be baby to term. Mm -hmm. And her her breakdown when it all looks like her, it all looks like the plans are going to crumble and she's going to be, for lack of a better word, trapped in this situation for the rest of her life. Um, it It's hard to not feel something when you're watching this movie. And a lot of that has to do with Ellen Page's performance. Agreed. I agree. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. We, uh, we got a question about Page actually, which I feel like I can be bold enough to say that I can answer for all of us. Um, from Christoph. Uh, Ed, do you think Ellen Page will ever come back to the Oscars? Gentlemen, on the count of three. One, two, three. Yes. yes. Yeah. Hopefully. Yes. Yes. Um, to round out our questions as a whole, since we've gotten through everything, this is, uh, speaking of Justin Priest, 
Um, did Nikki Blonsky from Hairspray deserve a nomination? And if so, we can't answer this part yet. I think he'll find out shortly. If so, who would she replace in the Best Actress lineup? Um, I would say no. I think if I'm going to nominate someone from Hairspray, it's going to be John Travolta in Supporting Actor, but that's just me. What about you guys? I'd say no. I I enjoy her in Hairspray. Um, I think she does a pretty good job, but it's not the type of performance that I'm, you know, screaming about, you know, giving nominations to. So I'm okay with her not having one for Hairspray. Yeah, that's how I feel as well. But again, I leave it to the experts to determine whether she was quote unquote worthy or not for the for the Academy. But yeah, it, it's a fine performance. Yeah, I don't I, I have anything keep, against it, but not top five. Keep for me. giving me keep giving me compliments, and I'm putting put my hair in a bun. Let me tell you, <laughs> compliments and drinks. Yeah, seriously, <laughs> <laughs> gentlemen. Shall we get to our rankings? All right. Yeah. All right, all right. As I recap, our supporting actress nominees this year were Tilda Swinton in Michael Clayton, Ruby Dee in American Gangster, Saoirse Ronan in Atonement, Kate Blanchett in I'm Not There, and Amy Ryan in Gone Baby Gone. For the very first time in Academy Queen history, I am making a tie for fifth place with Kate Blanchett and Saoirse Ronan because I think they are both so awful that they don't deserve anything higher than last place. Damn. <laughs> JD, what are you, what about you? Uh, for fifth place? Your... Yep. I am going with Amy Ryan. All right. Brandon. My fifth place. Um, this is a really tough lineup here. Cause there's something I really admire about all these performers but my fifth place is actually going to ruby d for american gangster i think she makes the most of the very little screen time she has and yeah she's a goddamn legend but unfortunately the movie just doesn't give her enough um enough opportunities to really um put her any higher than me unfortunately fair yeah that's fair jd who is your four i'm obviously skipped over because i tied last place yep um, I'm also going, that's where I'm going with Ruby D as well. I, I don't really disagree with a lot of what you're saying, Brandon. I just, when she is there, I just find her so potent that, you know, I just, there's a little oomph for me, I guess, with the film when she's on screen, but I, I don't disagree with what you're saying, but I'll, I'll stick her at number four here. My number four is going to Kate Blanchett for I'm Not There. Um, I really dig whatever she's doing here, I find it fascinating as hell um, whenever I watch this movie. But um, it's not exactly my cup of tea, and I'm not entirely sure that I get it, even though I'm very intrigued by whatever the hell I'm watching. So okay. she gets number four, at least. Okay. Hey, guess who's back in the rankings? I am. All right. <laughs> <laughs> number three, I'm actually getting to Amy Ryan. Um, I think she's the best part of her movie, but... I think she suffers from the fact that she gets lost, her character does, in the film, and there's really nothing to do to for me that makes this performance a full 100. I think she's at 95, but um, there's just something about it that I needed that little bit of extra character from her at the end, or somewhere in the middle where she disappears, and I, it's not delivered. So Amy Ryan has to go three for me. Um, My number three is Tilda Swinton. For Michael Clayton, um, I know Joey's going to love that, knowing who's left <laughs> on my ranking now. But um, I, 
I do love Tilda Swinton in this film, though. She is really great. We talked about that ending and how great she is and and you know, how satisfying the ending of the film is because of her performance. So um, I, I, I don't really have anything against her winning here, but uh, the, the other two just have a little bit more for me, for my money. But uh, yeah, so I'm putting Tilda Swinton at number three here. Amy Ryan is my number three for Gone Baby Gone. Uh, she, you know, completely disappears into this performance and creates someone who you feel like you would bump into on the street. And uh, she takes this character to some very dark places, and I dig that. But um, I guess she only makes number three, though, in this lineup for me. Well, my final two is this year's winner, Tilda Swinton, and then Ruby D. Um, I got to go Swinton in second, giving Ruby D the win here. Um, I, I don't hate that Swinton has an Oscar. I love that she actually has one. Um, but she, while as great as she is, Ruby steals everything she's in, which isn't much. But I'm left leaving American Gangster remembering Ruby D more than anything. And I've said this before. If you are going to have such a small role in such a big, quote-unquote, epic film, you best do something for me to remember you. And God damn it, does she do it. I think this should have been D's win. I 100% agree with SAG. Ruby D, you're a winner, baby, in my eyes. JD, give us your final two. Uh, for my number two, I'm going with... Oh, man, this is hard. I go back and forth on this, but I'm going to go with Kate Blanchett with I'm Not There. Again, it's the dichotomies of that character at play and how she taps into it that I find so fascinating. And um, in, in, a, in a weird way relatable thinking about my life and I guess some of the choices I've made along the way. I don't know if I find myself as apathetic as that character, but there are times where, you know, with some of the things I do with my day job, I can get quite close to that. And then something will come up where, you know, a, a shady character, a Tilda Swinton, if you will, from Michael Clayton makes a decision that impacts me. And all of a sudden I'm like furious. Um, so I, I, I understand it. I think there's something universally human about what she's evoking in that film with her performance, and I love it. With that said, that means that Saoirse Ronan from Atonement is my winner, and you know, for all the reasons we talked about, I, I love her in that film, the confused emotions that we see with her at the beginning, how that leads to this life-changing judgment that is clouded and um, again, that confusion and where that leads to the rest of the film, it's quite uh, captivating. And there's something about, again, the naivete of the character, but also the intensity of it. And, you know, that polarity, I just find incredible with what we see in Saoirse Ronan's performance. And uh, yeah, I mean, I love her as an actress. That's that performance, though, certainly up there for me with her. So she's my winner here. JD, I hope you enjoyed your one and only time on the couch today. <laughs> Look, I'm going to buy you drinks to make up for it. So. <laughs> no, I know, I'm just giving you this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Brandon, who do you have? Uh, my runner-up spot is going to Saoirse Ronan for Atonement. I'm giving the win to Tilda Swinton for Michael Clayton. Saoirse mm -hmm. Ronan in Atonement I think is great. I think this is a really wonderful first nomination for her. Um, I think she takes... Um, all the opportunities that a character like Bryony Tallis has to offer and really sinks her claws into them. And she really 
solidifies this film because without a strong performer in the role of Bryony Tallis, this movie simply does not work. Um, but Tilda Swinton in Michael Clayton is just terrifying to me. She's not scary in the way that, you know, most of us would think of villains or monsters being, but there's something so petrifying about the idea that Karen Crowder is only one of thousands of people like her in this country and the lengths that she goes to to please her clients and get paid the big bucks is just so evil and Tilda Swinton just embodies that so well in this movie she's like she's a witch of the corporate world and I don't know there's something really authentic about Tilda Swinton in this and as much as you hate her it's so hard to not be drawn into this performance because Tilda Swinton plays it so three-dimensionally and gives Karen so much life and um, I don't know vivacity that she doesn't feel like a two-dimensional villain like when this movie's over you feel like you understand her I'm not saying you agree with her or you sympathize with her, but you you get her. And yet at the same time, you're cheering when she loses in the end. And Tilda Swinton pulls out all those emotions from you. So I think this was a very good win from the Academy because I am going to agree with it. We all had different winners. Interesting. Yeah. I wonder if that will happen again in Leave. Yeah. And as a reminder, those leading ladies were Marion Cotillard for La Vie en Rose, Kate Blanchett for Elizabeth Colin the Golden Age, Julie Christie from Away From Her, <laughs> Laura Lenny for The Savages, and Ellen Page for Juno. And I'm giving my number five spot to Kate Blanchett. Um, I just find this film very uninteresting and her performance isn't really doing anything different that we didn't really already see in the first Elizabeth. Um, so she gets uh, my number five. Uh, JD, who's your number five? I'm also going with Kate Blanchett for really all those same reasons. I mean, I, I don't think it's bad. She is good in the film, but the writing, the film overall doesn't help her case at all. So yeah, easily my number five here. I swear to fuck. If I am the one to not get any on this goddamn date you two are on, <laughs> um, number five, Julie Christie, no explanation. Listen to earlier. Okay. So my number four is actually going to Julie Christie. Um, there are things that I really, really like about this performance. And this top four to me is really great. Like I said in the beginning, there has been there's been different points in my life where all of these top four were my winner. Um, unfortunately right now, Julie Christie is not, um, even though there are things that I really admire about her performance and away from her. Yeah, I think that's very fair. Uh, my number four though, uh, is Marion Cotillard. Um, and, and like you're saying, Brandon, the, these top four, I do think are really great. So we're splitting hairs, I think with, you know, as far as the disparity between them. Um, so it's, it's really, 
me putting her at four is less about Marion Cotillard's performance and how much I just love the three above her. I mean, that's really all I can say about it because I she's great. And and if anyone has it as number one or higher than number four, I'm no pushback from me. Oh, it's my turn. Um, <laughs> sorry, I'm not gonna lie. I was listening and getting a text from one of our followers, so I was totally doing both. Um, mm. Number four. I hate to do this, but Laura Linney. Laura Linney's really good, but mm-hmm. the final three are a lot more um, there for me. So I got to give Laura okay. Linney my fourth, unfortunately. My number three goes to Marianne Cotillard for Le'Veon Rose. This is a wonderful performance. Um, I mean, it's resplendent. I don't really know what else to say that we haven't already said, um, but Right now, at this point in time, she's only number three in my ranking. All right. Very fair. Um, As for my number three, I'm going to go with Laura Linney from The Savages. A very funny performance, dramatic at times, poignant even. She covers the gamut. I really, really like her a lot in this film and hopefully to see her back on, you know, on the Academy stage one of these days with another nomination. So, uh, but yeah, she's really great here. Um, number three is going to be Kate Blanchett. My top three is where I get to the point of at some point I've wanted all, I've like gone through these three to be my winner. Um, but on revisit, Kate Blanchett has to go three. Well, I definitely think this is the better of her two nominations this year. And this is definitely better than her Elizabeth one nomination. Um, I get to that point where it's like, I'm not ranking who I dislike to like the most. It's just, I have to put her somewhere. And therefore, Blanchett can only come into three for this round. So my runner-up spot is going to Laura Lenny for The Savages, and I'm rewarding Ellen Page for Juno. Um, Laura Lenny, fantastic in The Savages. Um, if someone were to ask me, um, I, or if someone were to say to me, I've never seen a Laura Lenny movie, where do I start? I would tell them The Savages. It's everything that makes Laura Lenny great. Uh, she's funny. She's tragic. She's everything in The Savages. Um, But Ellen Page is just sublime in Juno. Um, She's everything in it. And right now, she is the performance that I'm really gravitating toward. Um, I feel like the Academy really missed an opportunity with rewarding Ellen Page for Juno. And I'm going to correct that right now and give her my win. JD? Well, speaking of rewarding, I think what's very rewarding about being open-minded is that you can think that you're set on something, then find yourself in a conversation that sways you in another direction. And that's where I find myself here right now, because I mentioned earlier that Julie Christie was my winner for best actress given these nominees And that's where I was set as we started talking about Julie Christie um, and her performance in Away From Her, which I love. absolutely love her in that film. But our conversation about Ellen Page and Juno just provoked something new (laughs) in me. Um, and, And maybe it's because I simply haven't thought about the performance, um, as, as much as, you know, I had Julie Christie and away from her, that one has, you know, been sitting with me. 
Um, but I'm actually going to go with Julie Christie at number two here. There's something about the conversation with what we talked about um, regarding Alan Page that um, just reminded me of what I love about that film and, and her performance and how um, nuanced it is and how funny it is, how poignant it is. Um, I love everything about Juno and, and part, part, big part of it is the writing of that film and the direction of it and the surrounding cast. All of it is excellent and amplifies Ellen Page, but Ellen Page on her own is doing a lot of great work. And like I said, it's quintessentially endearing for me. Um, but I think it's also more than that. There's, there's a lot to the character of Juno that I find, uh, really wonderful. So I guess thanks fellas for having such a, a, a lovely conversation because it's, it, it made a difference for me going into the rankings here. So yeah, I'm going to go with, uh, Ellen Page as my winner. All right. Well, that leaves Paige and Cotillard for me. Um, uh, I'm going to go as my winner this year, Marion Cotillard. I uh, agree with the Academy. I did not agree with the Academy up until a couple of years ago. I had Paige 100% as my winner. Um, and Paige is a very much Joey thing. If you listen to us this long, you know that I'm guessing all of the people who guessed us and who were the winners this week are shook right now because Paige, I get it, totally my thing. There's no denying that the Academy got it right here for me. Um, Kotiar is miles ahead of everybody in this lineup. Um, I, you know that weird thing that Twitter does? Like, for example, J-Lo could do Marriage Story, but Laura Dern couldn't do the halftime show. That was a big one that just went uh, viral. Cotillard could do every performance here, but nobody could do Edith Piaf. And I'm sticking to it. I love Paige. I think she is 100% on point. Um, I, there's not a negative thing I have to say about it, but Cotillard 100% deserved this Oscar. With that said, fuck your dates. This is bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> the, moment, the moment you said you're going for Paige, like I was happy because it wasn't Christy, but I was like, God! Damn it! <laughs> <laughs> Look, I even set the table there for you because I know you I, love Ellen Page as well. I know. And you went another direction. Did uh, we always ask, uh, was anyone shocked by anyone's picks here? Um, well, I, def I definitely thought you were going for Page, but Cotillard doesn't surprise me. I know you do have an affinity for um, French cinema. So I guess if I were to have guessed your runner up, it probably would have been Cotillard. How about the Ruby D pick? For some reason, I did think it was going to Ruby D for you. I, I don't know what it was. <laughs> I don't know what it was, but for some reason, I, I just had a feeling. JD, were you shocked at all by my, my, my choices, sir? Um, not, not Cotillard. I mean, the moment you started speaking French when we were talking about her, <laughs> I mean, that, I think... Laid the foundation great there. Um, I mean, maybe a little surprised by Ruby D winning. Um, but I mean, you eloquently talked about why you love that performance. So at the same time, I'm not too surprised, especially given your hatred for Kate Blanchett and Sergio Ronan, which you know blows my mind. But uh, you know, given you know what you stated there, can't say that I'm too surprised. Maybe a little bit though. I don't yes. know who those, who those people are you just named. Um <laughs> 
I will say, JD, not really knowing who you, I always say this with guests, like not really knowing who you could have chosen. I wasn't too sure. I am a little shocked that you, I mean, again, this is me not trying to be biased. I'm genuine. I am a little shocked that you went for Ronan over everyone in that category. I definitely feel like that is not a quote unquote popular choice. So I definitely hats off to you for not doing a, uh, uh, a majority um, winner there. I will say, like I said, I'm very happy that you went with Paige over Chrissy. Uh, Brandon, I really didn't know. I knew Lori, Linny, or Lori, Laura Linney would be in your top two. I just didn't know where you would place her. So I'm also happy you went into Paige. But I will say, Tilda Swinton did not shock me whatsoever. You are very much a Swintonite. Oh, yeah. So. Stuff. This is yeah. fun as hell. Yeah, yeah, this was good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, JD, tell people where they can find you and what you can, uh, what they can expect from you. Yeah, so you can find everything that we do at InSessionFilm.com. If you're not familiar with us, we have two main shows. We have one that we do on Mondays where myself and uh, my co-host Brennan, we uh, oftentimes talk about, we do a review of some sort of new release. We have a top three or a top five list that correlates with that a lot of the time, uh, and other film discussion. And then we have a Friday show where there are two other hosts that do that. Um, and they mostly dedicate that to the smaller indies out there or classic and older films that, uh, we don't cover on, on the main show with Brennan and I. Um, so two shows. We also have an Oscar show that Ryan McQuaid does as well um, that you can that you can tune into as well. So a lot of a lot of uh, variety there with what we do. We also have written reviews on our website and, and featured posts and things of the sort. So we're putting out a ton of content. If you want to find it again, that's in session There we have links to um uh, where you can find the podcasts, you know, iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, all the normal places. We're pretty much everywhere. And we have links to social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Just search in Session Film. You'll find us on those platforms as well. And thanks for having me, guys. This was a lot of fun. I, I was I'm, I was thrilled to be here. This was, this was great. Thank you. I hope you two enjoyed your date. Hope someone, <laughs> hope someone gets lucky here. <laughs> Uh, Brandon, anything else? Um, no, I think that about covers it. Perfect. Well, gentlemen, on behalf of Marion Cotillard, I will calm down in French. Uh, when we get to trois, we will say a big au revoir. Ready? Un, deux, trois. Au revoir. Au revoir. Au revoir.